Good morning, good morning, Impact Church. I think we got another video. Uh, trying to see if the other video will show up. Give me a thumbs up if we have the video. We have a video for uh, David and Debbie O'Brien's uh, Life Healing Choices uh, Life Group. Is that it? You cannot get healthy without hope. You can go 40 days without food. You can go about eight days without water, but you can't go one second without hope. You have to have hope in order to get healthy again. How do you have hope or where do you get hope when change seems hopeless. You need to remember these. God is with me. He cares about me. He knows the situation. He has the power to change, and he will help me. When you actually face your hang-ups, your hurts, your bad habits, and you face that pain, God says, I will be right there to give you hope. Suffice it to say, God has more power than you can comprehend. You just need to realize he's got enough for your problems. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you say, okay, God, everything in my life, good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the up, the down, Put it all in your hands. I put it all in your hands. All right, so that's the video showing Life Healing Choices. It's a life group that Dave and Debbie O'Brien are starting on Tuesday. So this Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30, they meet at the weight room. If you have any uh, questions or anything about that, there's a table to the side here. They got the material out there. You can uh, get the material today. Uh, just see David and Debbie, and they'll help you get that material and be ready for Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30 at the weight room. Also, Alexis Decker, happy birthday. <laughs> It's Alexis's birthday today, so wish her a happy birthday. So before you leave, you just make a circle around the sailboat and say happy birthday before you leave church today. So glad to have, uh, I love birthdays because uh, we're all family, right? That's what family does. We celebrate together. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor here at church. I love helping people get uh, plugged into different places. So if you have a question, if you have anything about life groups or about the church land or the building process or what we are as a church, please come and see me after church. I'll be floating around, so just catch me and talk to me. Any questions you have, we got on the table back there an amazing sign that was created by Annalise, uh, but it's got a QR code on it. It's got our website on it, impactforest.org. That's our website, impactforest.org. That's the source of all information. You know who our staff is, who our elders are. Uh, you can listen to all the previous sermons. It'll click on the link. It'll take you to Revelations. If you've just visited with us, I would encourage you to go back and look at the Revelation series. That's an eight-month series that we did as a church, and people are still talking about it. It's such a powerful matter of fact. Many other churches, I think, were motivated by our series to start their own series going through the book of Revelation. So, so go to our website. That way you can see videos of how our land is doing, how the building process is going, how what we're doing as a church, how we're getting involved in the community. Uh, one thing you'll find on there in the, in the days to come is save the date, uh, October 29th, 
we're going to have our trunk or treat event. Trunk or treat is an amazing opportunity for us to serve the community. Uh, we did it last year at here in the back parking lot on the lower end, and we ran out of candy five times. We had over 3,000 people come to our trunk or treat last year. The parking lot was packed. They were parking at the elementary school. So people in the community know that when Impact Church does an event, it's something that they want to come out to. So a couple things. October 29th is around the corner, so invite your friends. But we need candy. We've already started collecting candy, so if you can find uh, places to buy candy, uh, go ahead and start bringing candy to church so we can stock up so that we don't have to run out of candy. Uh, last year, we, I think, bought everything Dollar General had, everything Kroger had. I think we started going to Walmart and got everything Walmart had. So, uh, But we just want to make sure we have a great opportunity. It's a great way for us to talk to the community, right? There's people who they are curious about Jesus Christ. They're curious about what God is all about, and they're really curious about his people, right? And so this is a great way for the community to come in and meet with us, talk to us uh, on a, in a parking lot. It's no, they're not confined and they're not trapped into the wall where they don't know how to get out. They can talk to us and meet us and see that, you know what, we're normal people, just like them. They live in the community. And so Trunk or Treat is just a way, great way for us to, to share Jesus Christ, build connections, and tell people about how we are normal people that would love them, care for them, and walk with them through life situations. Also, I got... Uh, uh, breakfast. I wanted to talk about breakfast. We had breakfast this morning. So thank you for everybody who fixed breakfast, who brought food. Thanks for everybody coming and, and having a meal with us, having fellowship. Uh, we'll try to do that every so often. So just keep an eye on that. We'll have another breakfast coming up soon. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for this great day to be in your house. Uh, this wonderful cafeteria that we can come in, be out of the rain, uh, and just come in to worship you, Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. And while we were still sinners, uh, you uh, gave your one and only son uh, to die on the cross for us. You gave everything for us so that you can have a relationship with us. And, Father, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to, through what you have done, to submit ourselves to you, to surrender ourselves to you. Whatever we have, we just we, we come into your hands, and we just want to have a relationship with you. And today, as we come into church, that's all it is. is we're, we want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to worship you. We want to glorify you. Uh, because you are everything. Every good and perfect gift that we've ever received is all from you and from your glory. We thank you, God. Bless this day. Bless Brad as he preaches. Give him power. Uh, give him the, I know he studied uh, diligently. Help him to remember the things that you want him to say and speak through him uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us as a, as a family to listen what you have to say. Not only with our ears, but listen with our heart. So we can take it, apply it to our life, and live for you the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad to see you this morning, Impact family. Let's stand together as we sing and worship to our Father today. You sing with us. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed.
praise him this morning. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. No matter what the circumstances, we bless his name. We trust in him. This is a new song that we'd like to share with you this morning called Trusting God. And uh, I'd just like to teach you the chorus of this. And uh, we'll just sing this together this morning. Just love the the fact that we can trust our God, He is trustworthy, He is always the same. Let me teach you this course this morning, it goes like this.
Amen this morning. Let's worship the Lord together. I know he's trustworthy because I've sought him and he heard me and he answered me. Let's sing this together. Yeah. 
Father, for who you are. Thank you, Father, that we can worship you today. And thank you that we are children of God, those who have called on your name, Father. Lord, we thank you that we are called sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not have that relationship with you, that today would be the day that you set them free. God set them free by the power of your name and by the power of your blood. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you who you say we are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As God's Spirit works within us, we are being transformed. It's not a one-time event. To become more like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another, one level of maturity to the next, comes from the Lord. 
Amen, amen. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Getting some cooler weather. September, football's going. A lot of great things happening. Hope you're excited to be in church. Um, a great place to be this morning as we get to dive into God's Word and we get a very applicable message that will change our lives today. So you're in a great place. And if you're visiting with us, welcome this morning. We say every week, um, if you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, a place to be anchored and serve and, and, and just really get connected, we hope the Lord would lead you right here. Uh, God's doing an amazing work. We would love for you to be a part of what He is doing in and through this church and you are needed because we're growing and we are um, just in our uh, beginning, our seventh year and uh, Lord is doing a great work. So uh, if you're looking for a place that preaches God's word unapologetically, does not sugarcoat it or water it down and you want to grow as a disciple, you and your family and friends, you're in the right place. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. So uh, before we dive in, i just let you know where we're going. Obviously, we're getting close to the end of our Barrier Breaker sermon series here. Um, we only have three weeks left, including this one. And next week, a pretty special um, occasion. We're having a guest speaker come in uh, that is going to speak um, candidly about a lot of the things what we've been touching on and, and take a biblical perspective on, on mental health. And his name's Zach Clinton, and I think we have a picture we can probably put up. Some of you know him, uh, has built different podcasts. He speaks a lot at LU, speaks at Ignite Men's Conferences, hosts that, speaks all around the, the nation in different places, and God really uses him. A phenomenal speaker. You do not want to miss next Sunday. If you've got plans, cancel them, all right? All right, you want to be here, you want to grab people, friends, you want to bring them here. We need to be right here next week to hear what God has to say um, through Zach, and he's a counselor as well, so he's well qualified to speak on the mental health aspect with a biblical basis and whatnot, so do not miss that, all right? And then uh, getting started here today, we have uh, our Mirror Madness uh, topic today. We're going to be talking about overcoming a distorted self-image, and it's titled Mirror Madness, and like I said, Zach, next week, the following week, we put a bow on the series with uh, overcoming and winning the spiritual battle. How many of you know that's the biggest barrier that we need to break? Because it leads to everything that we just talked about for 16, 17 weeks. There's a spiritual battle going on, and how do we win it? And we're going to look at that to wrap this series up. And then after that, we'll get back into our expositional preaching. Probably, uh, again, like I alluded to last week, more than likely the book of Esther. Um, and there's a reason we would do that, but the Lord has full right to change that between now and then. But So uh, stay tuned. So let's get going today in our message entitled Mirror Madness. You know, when we talk about mirrors, we're all familiar with mirrors. We probably looked in them this morning before we left. Took me a long time to get my hair did this morning. You know what I'm saying? I had to spend a lot of time right there. All right? But mirrors can be very revealing, can't they? Especially bathroom mirrors, man. Why do they put all that light in front of that mirror? You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought I was looking pretty good until I stepped in front of that in the morning, right? So mirrors can be revealing, okay, about what's going on, but mirrors can also be distorted. Many of us are familiar, if you've ever been to a carnival or one of those uh, fun house mirror houses and whatnot where they have all these distorted mirrors, you ever been through that? So you, you, if you have it, you know what I'm talking about because you've seen it on cartoons or shows or whatnot. And you go through this hall or whatever, and, and you step in front of each individual mirror, and each individual mirror is shaped to distort your image. So you might step in front of one, and, and it'll make you really thin and tall. 
and you then step in front of the other one and you're very short and wide and then you go to the next one and you're all crooked and whatever so it's you and it's an image of you but it's a distorted image of you right but then as you go through usually somewhere in there maybe at the end there's a real mirror where it comes back to the reality of oh this is who I am this is what I look like I'm not distorted in that way guys we live in a world and a culture that gives us a lot of distorted mirrors of ourselves. and unfortunately if we're not careful we can go through life and believe that who we are and the image that we have of ourselves is what we just saw in that distorted image mirror Guys, we do it all the time. I do it and you do it. And it's easy to get caught up into. And we need to know that there's a real mirror that we need to continuously look at that gives us the real image, the consistent image of who we are. Because all through life, there's things like rejection, ridicule, failure, neglect. And these all act like distorted mirrors to give us the wrong and inaccurate image of ourself. They do. There's physical distorted mirrors of life. For a child, maybe it's the look of a parent of disapproval when they've done something, not performed well, and the parent didn't even have to say a word. And it gives that kid a distorted image. Maybe it is the actual words from a parent that you're a failure, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. You're a mistake. And it gives you a distorted image of your life. Maybe if you think back when you went to school, those of you that are my age or older, or you, maybe you're in school now and you go to school and you remember you had some new clothes on, man, or you had some new stuff or a new bag and, and you thought it was cool, man. You were excited about this. You thought it was right. And you go in and then you get made fun of. How'd that make you feel? Or maybe you went to school or you just got made fun of just continuously. You got bullied. And all those words, all those distorted images are still there, even though they'd be deep down inside. Distorted mirrors of a disapproving spouse, a heckling boss. How about a coach that belittled you a teacher that belittled you called you out embarrassed you in front of the class how about even in church a youth leader that belittled you called you names boy that'll hurt how about being belittled so that you're being called names just in teens, at work, dumb, you're lazy, you're never going to amount to anything. All these form physical distorted images. Then there's the media, media mirror distorted image. If that wasn't all enough, that was constantly in front of us in magazines and TV and now this, you can't get away from it. Everywhere you go. There's a distorted image of what you should 
be or what you should look like. And it sends the message that if you don't look like this, then you just don't measure up. And that's a distorted image. And most times you get these pictures of people, first of all, a lot of them that only represent 1% of the gene pool. You know what I'm saying? Well, we all can't look or be. But then in the most part, even at that, most of them have had surgeries, spent lots of money on their physical appearance. Lots of them have piles of time on their hand where they could spend in the gym. So you get this guy on the cover of a magazine. It looks like his full-time job is to create abs. <laughs> can't compete with that. I got to go to work. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad you can do that and starve yourself and not eat cheeseburgers. I like a cheeseburger every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? All right? But you get all this stuff where you're just like, man, I just don't measure up. And we get this image and this false image of who we are and who we need to be. And then if that won't good enough, then you get on social media and start scrolling. And it's not even the superstars and the models and, the, and, and the, everybody else from Hollywood. Now it's just people you do life with every day. And there's images and pictures that are now filtered where you look to and be like, man, I just saw that person in the grocery store. And they didn't look like that. <laughs> That's the world we live in. Appearance. Performance. Status. And it gives us a warped image if we don't feel like we measure up. So what we know is how we think about ourselves and who we really are can be drastically different. And that fun house of mirrors gives us a great example. And all of us have some warped mirrors that affect our lives. Some of us continuously or some of us maybe even just intermittently. But these warped images still come back from maybe times of the past where you were ridiculed, made fun of, and you're going through life and you're a, you're a well-functioning, confident adult, but then somebody doesn't give you the affirmation or somebody says something to belittle you and all those warped images from the past come right back and put you right back in your place. You ever been there? Right when you thought you were making ground where all that was behind you and then it comes right back. So we all deal with this in certain ways. Distorted mirror images from life, and it'll affect our mood, it'll affect our affect, it'll affect our motivation, it will affect our mental and physical health, it'll affect our jobs, it'll affect our relationships, it will affect our walk with Christ and our faith and our trust that we have in him. But God wants to take us in a biblical journey today and see that we can overcome the distorted self-image that maybe you and I have from, from distorted mirrors of the past. And that we could overcome the mirror madness that we face in this world. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we praise you, Father, for who you are. Lord, you are God. You are mighty. You are sovereign over all of it. And Lord, you love us. You knew us before we were born. You knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You formed our inmost parts in being. Lord, our identity, our self-image is in you. 
Lord, help us today see that accurate mirror only today. And each time that we walk, Lord, from this point forward in front of one of those distorted mirrors that we all have in our life, that we can just laugh and say, that's really not me. Let me get back to that real mirror and see who I really am. Father, can we hear your word today? Can we be doers of your word and not just hearers? And Lord, would you move in us and do something in us, Lord, that only you can get the glory and the credit for it, Father? Because I believe this message could change our lives. I believe it could change the strength of our walk with you. We really know who we are. I believe it could change the trajectory of our church. I believe it could change our community. Lord, let it start with us right here today. And Father, you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a copy of God's word with you, I hope you do. You can turn to the book of 2 Samuel. Go ahead. You'd be like, what? 2 Samuel? Yeah, we're going to be in 2 Samuel a little bit today because we're going to learn about a dude who struggled with his self-image. All right? And if you look at self-image, it's basically just a belief of who you are. And it's shaped, as we've already stated, by life's distorted mirrors in so many ways. Here's the problem. Unlike the fun house where you can just go and walk through and leave and be like, ooh, wasn't that a good time? Guys, in real life, we can get stuck in that fun house that's not so fun in front of all those distorted images. So we want to look at today, how does this happen? And, and, and then what is the impact of it if we st- get stuck there? And then more importantly, is there an accurate, dependable mirror that we can always go back to and be like, oh, that really wasn't me. This is me. And we can remind ourselves every day, just like you look in your own mirror every day. And there is, and we're going to see that. But in 2 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 9 here in a second. We're going to learn about a guy named Mephibosheth. All right? That's a cool name to say, isn't it? Try to say that nine times in a row. Please don't. You'll probably say something you don't want to say. All right? Mephibosheth. All right? He was the son of Jonathan and was the grandson of King Saul. Okay? So I'm going to give you a little history of him real quick before we read into chapter 9. And his story is basically a study that we're going to see of a person with a warped self-image. And this story is going to give us a picture of how God wants to heal us from it if we will let him. All right? So we kind of meet and are introduced to Mephibosheth in chapter 4, verse 4. We're not going to read that, but I'll just kind of let you know. When we hear that there's some messengers that brought back some news of King Saul's death. And little Mephibosheth was only five years old at the time. And, and he was with this nurse. And, and upon the news, they fled. And, and, and in running to, to get away, they, he fell. Something happened. And he injured himself to the point of being lame the rest of his life. We're not told what that is, very likely. I don't know whether he tripped, fell, fell on a rock, broke his back. I don't know what happened. But there was something that happened that made him lame from a young age. So for years, a family had to take care of him in a place called Lodabar. All right? So we get this story, and we know who this is, and we see, fast forward now, when he's older, here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Verse 6 through 13 is where we're going to read. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. 
It says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Circle or underline dead dog. We see the image that he has of himself. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your servant's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. So, here's this story, and if you get the message, and you can read more detail later, we just didn't have time to read the whole passage, but we have this scenario where King David is here on the throne, and he sees an opportunity to fulfill something he had already made a commitment to in the past, and that was to take care of Jonathan's family and watch over him, all right? So here we have Mephibosheth, and remember, he's lame from a young age. He's obviously got this warped self-image. We've seen this right here when what he says to King David, but what we didn't get, if you go back and read the beginning, is in David realizing, hey, I want to take care of Jonathan's family like I promised to do, he sent somebody out he asked if there was anybody he could take care of, and the servant Ziba said, yeah, there is. And he said, go get him. Go bring him here to the palace. I want you to get that. And let him come, and he's going to be with me, and he's going to eat at my table. All right? So David wants to honor the covenant he made with Jonathan and promised to watch over his family. So he sent the servant to fetch, if you will, Mephibosheth and bring him back and restore Saul's estate to him, the heir to have all that was in the palace. And he provided servants and gave him the right to eat at the royal table as if he were David's own son. What's the son of a king called? The prince. The right for the heir to the throne, right? Guys, I want us to get this. I want us to get this picture too. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing for us. 
that we are desolate. We are on our own. We're, we're, we're trying to just make our way through life. We're, we're living in this world. And Jesus come and he made a way for us to have a rightful relationship stored back with the king. Because he is the king. And so he is, he is here and he is searching and he is wanting us. He's already finished the work on the cross Jesus has. And then he sends the Holy Spirit out to come get us. Don't you love that? Do you know God's word says no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Man, Jesus did the finished work on the cross, and he sends the Holy Spirit out to gather us and say, hey, come, grab them, grab their hearts, grab their lives, bring them back here to me, to this restored fellowship. Let's eat together in this palace. You can be an heir to the throne with me. Guys, that's what Jesus wants for you and me. That's the gospel. That even when we were desperate and alone and thought all hope was gone, Jesus made a way for us to come back. And he sends his spirit out to call us. That's why when the spirit calls you and pricks on your heart today and asks you to to surrender and to give your heart to to Jesus and to forsake the things of this world, that you're just living a lie and there's nothing ever going to satisfy you. You need to come to me and give me your life. Don't ignore him when he speaks. Say yes, that's, that's Jesus sending him out to invite you home to be where you're supposed to be. So we get that picture first and foremost. And then we see inside of this, this warped self-image that Mephibosheth had. And this beautiful picture of David wanting to bring him in at his own son. What is that called? When it's not his son, but he brings him in like it's his own son. Adoption. Invites him in to be a, a child of the king. Guys, that's what, that's what God wants for us, that he invites us to, to, for all that we receive. And you have a right to become a child of God, that you can become a, a son of God, children of him, and heirs to the throne. It's a beautiful picture of adoption, where God wants us. But even inside of the kingdom, once you're there, the low self-esteem can still be wrestled with. Did you see that? Mephibosheth brought back ear inside, and he's wrestling with who he is. And oftentimes, you and I, even in Christ, even in the church, maybe walking with Christ for years, we can still struggle with a self-image of who we are. And there's an enemy behind it that wants to set traps and to make us miss out on all God has for us and who we are. Because here's the key. If you and I don't have an accurate self-image of who we really are in Christ, we will never be all we are created to be in him. Because we will be living for ourselves and living for the things of this world and spend our whole life trying to people please and gain appearance, performance, and status and miss out on Christ and miss out on the mission. So, Doubt, insecurity, lack of faith, previous hurt, warped mirrors of life. They all affect us. They were affecting Mephibosheth because he didn't feel like he had the appearance of everybody else. He was lame. He didn't think much of himself. He couldn't perform like everybody else. So he couldn't measure up. He didn't have the status of everybody else. As a matter of fact, he had, he had lost his heir to the throne, because now he's not only lame, but he's part of a, of a failed kingship where Saul is gone, and he has no rightful heir to the throne anymore. He's lost his status. So you can see where he's struggling. And even inside the 
kingdom you would think all would be good and he's restored and right, but he still is struggling with who he is and trust. So when Absalom stages a rebellion briefly against King David, and you know that story, you can go back and read it. Mephibosheth stays in Jerusalem, hoping that Absalom would restore him to the rightful heir of the throne. Can you believe that? So essentially, King David, who he had given him the right to come in, he becomes disloyal to him, hoping that somebody else, you see, he's just trying to people please. It's that wishy-washy, fence-riding loyalty. Who's going to give me what I need? Who's going to reestablish my appearance, my performance, my status? I'm going to go with them. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 3. I'll read that to you. It says, the king said, he's talking to, to Ziba. He says, the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said... Today, the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. You see, now it's all about him. And and again, appearance, performance, status. And he's still chasing that. Even though he's already had the opportunity to be in the palace. Just when things seem to go a little wrong in the kingship of David, he wanted to bail for himself. How many times in this world when we, oh yes, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is sovereign and God's sovereign and we see the world start winning and we think, oh, well, maybe I should side with the world a little bit because they're going to give me what I need. And we leave the truth and the security and the promise of Christ just because we're starting to lose the game a little bit in the fourth quarter, it seems like, but make no mistake God is still sovereign, and he's the victor. You don't need to bail on Christ for the world. You don't need to compromise your faith, your beliefs. You don't need to compromise this word in your life, in your home, in your stance at work, in school. You need to stick with the victor. Don't be tempted to go elsewhere. So Mephibosheth moved into the palace, but his heart was still on handouts. Still on himself. Still trying to figure out if he could be somebody. So when this political climate changed, he bailed. Self-seeking, wishy-washy, wavering loyalty. Nobody loves. It's a backstabbing kind of friendship that's self-seeking. And again, it's all back, goes back, and it's anchored in self-image. You feel like... You need to be somebody and want to be somebody, and you feel like you're not somebody in Christ, so you got to be somebody with status, appearance, and performance, and you want something that somebody else has. So you side with the backstabber Absalom. So when David eventually returns to Jerusalem, I'm kind of recapping the story here all through 2 Samuel. You can go back and read more because we just don't have time to go through it all because I want to get to something else. When David eventually returned to Jerusalem as king, then Mephibosheth come in and was groveling, trying to make excuses. And we see this picture in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 24, where Mephibosheth had let himself go. This whole time David was gone, he hadn't even cared for himself. You talk about a poor self-image that leads to depression where you don't even want to care for yourself. What does the word of God say? It says that he... That when he came um, to meet the king, when he came to meet David, 
that he had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until he came home in peace. He had a poor self-image. He didn't think much of himself. And he was searching for anything to make him feel good. Is that you today? Are you just searching for anything to make you feel good, to make you feel important? And you're searching and and you're looking in these warped mirror images and not in the real image of who God's made you. This is where Mephibosheth found himself. So for us, what does this look like for us? We saw what it looked like for Mephibosheth, and we have some direct similarities with, with how we search today and how we have the wrong heart motive and attitude and want to be establish ourselves because we think we need to feel important and be important because we don't feel important in the position God's already given us. How about that one? You can write that one down. We don't feel important in the position God's already given us. So we feel like we need more. Guys, that's sin. Man, I, I played football, and, and I praise God for it, because I learned a lot of life lessons in that. But we know, and you, even if you don't like football, you're familiar with the fact that there's a team that goes on the field of 11 players. And when you're on offense, there's one guy called the quarterback, right? And he kind of runs and leads the offense. But there's 10 other people on the field that are just as important as he is. But they have a different role. What would happen if the lineman said, I don't want to be a lineman anymore. This dude that I'm blocking for stinks anyway. I could do it better than him. And I want to be quarterback. And so he opens the door. Let's the lineman go in and hurt him. And then the next guy up at quarterback, he finds out it's not as good. Guys, that's how sin wants to get us and destroy. And that's how sin gets into the church. That's what Absalom was doing to David. Hey, that quarterback ain't running the thing right. I can do better than him. Mm. Or I need status. I need something else. I don't know why you would want to be the quarterback anyway. Can I be honest with you? (laughs) They get blamed for losing the game when it wasn't their fault. You want to be a quarterback? Uh, Tell me, am I right or am I wrong? A team loses the game. The defense misses a tackle, but it always goes back to the performance of the quarterback. Guys, you don't want to be a quarterback unless God puts you as a quarterback. We need 10 other people on the field that are just as important to move the ball down the field. And Satan wants to get in the hearts and the minds of everybody else and start jacking that whole hierarchy up so that you can't move the ball. And you start just fighting amongst yourself and you lose sight of the mission. So here it is. This is for us. This is how it happens. We get in front of these warped mirrors and we think... We need different appearance, performance, and status. What are the most powerful influences in our life in these areas that shape us and mold us? First and foremost, study suggests is our parents. Your parents give you the first idea of your self-image. But again, that could be warped very horribly in one way or the other. Because they could make you think more highly of yourself than you are as well. 
or on the contrary, they could put you down and you don't think you're very much at all and not important, even from the ones that should love you the most. Then after parents, it's just authority figures in general, whether that be coaches, teachers, youth leaders, whoever has leverage over you and you look up to. Then after that is our peers, our friends, what they think, how they shape us. Then after that, of course, what we talked about with media and things of this world in comparison. And those all start to shape us. Here's the thing, though. Often, it's not even about who we think we are. I mean, it is because, again, we're looking in the, if we're looking in the wrong mirrors, that can have a lot to do with it. But a lot of times, that's just part of it, who we think we are. Then another part of it just could be what other people think we are, right? And what we hear them say about us. But then more often than not, a lot of times what gets us the deepest, and this is where Satan wants to get in, it's about who we think others think we are. Again, we've got to have appearance, performance, status, so that we'll think others think great about us. And that can be distorted. So again, you've heard me say it numerous times, so there's a world standard out there that we're trying to keep up with, and that's the the apps analogy with one P, appearance, performance, and status. We know what appearance is. It's all going back to looks. How we look physically and how we look vocationally, how we look in every aspect of our life. And you go back to magazines and TV and social media, and we've already talked about that. Then there's performance, and that's what you can do. And so, therefore, if you don't have the job that somebody else has, you'll never measure up. If you don't have the talent somebody else has, you'll never measure up. If you can't dunk a basketball, you'll never be a great basketball player. That's, what, that's the image, the status. If, if, you can't, if you can't bench 400 pounds, if you can't run a football well, catch a football, whatever. If you can't play an instrument well, if you can't sing well, then you'll never measure up. Whatever it is, it's a performance. And if we look in that warped mirror, we'll get way off track of who we are. And again, the position God has given us to play on the team. God's given us a position. And if we're not careful, we'll try to play somebody else's position and not ours. And then there's status. Status. And that's popularity and money. Trying to meet up with all the social standards of our world and our society. And that can get us way, way off. And again, media and social media push that horribly. Because it gives you the idea, if you look like them, perform like them, have money like them, then maybe you can have the popularity of them, and maybe someday you could really be a somebody. It's not true. It's a lie. Don't buy it. That's a lie. You are somebody right now with what God has given you in the position God has placed you in right now. We live in a society and a system that glorifies and rewards only the top few percent of people. And the media pushes it right along. Why? Because they use it to manipulate the masses. Yeah, if you don't look like that, you don't have that, you don't have that new car, you got to get it. You got to get the new bottle, man. You don't have the new clothes, man. Come on, come on, man. The, the, the skinny jeans is out. They're going back to the, to the bell bottoms. I don't know. Whatever. But everything's going to change, and you always got to have something new, something different, something more. 
And nothing is ever enough in what you already have. And they use it to sell stuff. Materialism. Wasn't that another message we had? You see how all this ties in? So well. Even as followers of the Lord Jesus, guys, in weak moments left to ourselves, in times when we're not keeping our eyes on Christ and we're not continually renewing our minds with God's word, that'll block and correct those distorted images. If we're not doing that, we can spend all our time, energy, all our money in seeking appearance, performance, and status, trying to fill the holes in our hearts from a warped self-image. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. And then we start playing the if game. If I could just lose this weight, then I'd feel better. I'd be more important. I'd be more liked. I could get this position. If I could just get those abs. If I could just get some hair. I could be like Fabio. I just dated myself again. Y'all be like, who's Fabio, man? You can fill in the blank. If I had that car, I got to have that car. If I had that house, if I could just remodel my house like this. If I could just go on vacations in that place. If my kids could just get into this college. If I could just be a part of this organization. If my kid could get on this travel team. If I could just get this degree. Why? Why? Because there's deep holes in our hearts from distorted images of who we are and who we think we need to be. always something more always something better it's a what-if game some people use that become workaholics I don't understand that but why would you still do that because that's your worth that's where you find significance there's a need status some people go into this situation what-ifs and they withdraw because they feel like they're never gonna mount anything so they just become a recluse much like Mephibosheth did in our example there. Here's the bottom line. If we find ourselves looking for significance, security, and acceptance, and we're constantly looking in the warped mirror images of the world, we're going to continuously feel inferior, insecure, and insignificant. We will. We're all looking for significant security and acceptance. Every single one of us in here, don't lie, you are. Where are you looking for it at? Is it status? Is it title? Is it appearance? Is it performance? Is it, what is it? If it's anything outside of the position God has already given you, then you need to wash it away. Because it's going to lead you down a wrong path. It'll lead you away from where God wants you to be. He's got a position. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. Big sign people-pleasing, looking for acceptance, trying to run to everything, always trying to put yourself in a spot to, to, to be in the limelight, to, to run everything. You ever met people like that? They always feel like, and, and it goes back, and you say, oh, well, that person's a leader. That's why they do that. No, they've got a, they've got a rotten self-image where they feel like they always have to be in front and leading things to feel significant. I do it, and you do it. We all do it at various levels. 
And God wants us to play the position he's given us. We see that even people that have it all, everything that society says is going to fill us up inside and make us happy. And, and it's, a lot of it's, it's our dreams where it it's, goes with that appearance, performance, and status concept again. And we have perfect examples of everybody who has all that. People in Hollywood, movie stars, musicians, athletes, you name it. They have it. They have everything. But if you go back and you look at their pattern of addiction, their pattern of divorce, their pattern of bankruptcy, depression, suicide, you'll quickly realize that that ain't where you're going to find what you're looking for. So where's the real image? We must find it. Where's the real mirror? You see, there's a source behind all of this. And again, we've talked about this in numerous messages, that if we just treat the symptoms and we don't treat the source, we're never going to fix it. We have to realize that there's a spiritual battle behind all this that's trying to take you out, that's trying to destroy you mentally, that's trying to destroy your marriage, trying to destroy your family, that's trying to destroy your church. And he wants to do this. He wants to sit behind the scenes and just let you run on and jump off the cliff. Let you keep looking at those warped images and just finding your way right down the hole to destruction. And he ain't even got to do nothing but sit back and clean his fingernails and watch and laugh. You see, we all think that everything is, 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 is Satan. It's Satan. There, oh, there's a demon in there. There's a demon. There's a demon. There's a demon. Hey, let's get this right. Demons are real. But James is very clear that we sin when we're led away by our own depravity, our own sinful nature. It's not the devil made you do it. Please get that right. Because you can take the devil out, and if that house is not filled with the Holy Spirit, seven more demons, more even than itself, are going to come in. The house needs to be filled with the right mirror image. So Satan, what he does is he uses our sinful nature, he uses the things of this world to set traps. And he, he can just sit back and watch us fall in those traps. And we're so dumb, we keep falling for it. And he can sit back and just watch. He don't even have to possess or torment or inhabit or do anything. He can just sit back and watch us fall in these traps and destroy ourselves, and destroy our homes and destroy our relationships and destroy our churches. And he, yes, he's behind it all. There's a spiritual battle. But your enemy's not who you think it is. It's not the one in front of you. He's behind the scenes setting traps. So how do we get this correct mirror as we look to bring it to a close? Let's look at three or four scriptures here real quick to tie us up to get this right image. We've talked about the distorted ones enough. Romans 12, verse 3. And we know after verses 1 and 2 where it says you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god that's your proper act of worship verse 2 talks about don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world but be what transformed by what renewing of your mind say it again transformed by what what is going to transform us church word of god renewing your mind is it in you if it's not don't expect anything different in life than what you've already had Get it in you. It's the transforming work of the Holy Spirit through his word. God wants the best for us. Now let's look at verse 3. 
We know what verse 1 and 2 says. It says, for I say, through the grace given to me to everyone. Somebody say everyone. everyone. Who is among you? Do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Get that prideful, arrogant nature. You got to be in the front. You got to be leading the pack. You got to have the quarterback position out of your head. Then he says this, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. What does soberly mean? You're not in the influence of anything. You're not in the influence of the world. You're not under the influence of your sinful nature. You're not under the influence of your own passionate desires. You're not under the influence of you fill in the blank. You're only focused on Christ. Why? Because he's given you a measure of faith. He's got a plan and he's already put inside you something he wants you to do. That's the position on the team. That's it. So you have to have the right view of yourself. Not too high, but sober so we're not under the influence of this world or our flesh or these traps the enemy has set. Because God's given you something already. Did you know you're made in the image of God? Do you know what that means? That's the only thing that's going to make you and I happy is to be in his presence, to be in his will. We're made in his image. He created everything else we see. All the animals of the field, you got cows that sit on these fields and chew their cud all day long. They just be like. But that's what they were created to do. You probably got dogs at home and they love it when you come home and give them a bone and they'll go sit and they'll go chew it and they'll growl if you try to take it. That's what they're created to do. But guys, you and I were made differently. You and I, man and woman, were made in the image of God. So the only thing that's ever going to really satisfy is Jesus. It's to be in his presence, to have him fill us up. That's the only place it's at. So we see in this verse... The word think three times. Did you see that? Everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly. How many times do you got to say it? Think, think, think. Verse 2 just told us we're going to be transformed how? We just said it. Renewing of our mind. Where do you think the battle is at? <clears throat> We've got to win right there, church. We've got to win mentally. Mentally, you form an image of yourself, and if it's not accurate, you will lose. You've got to win the mental battle, and you're only going to do it here. Stop looking to Dr. Phil and Oprah and everybody else. They give maybe some great advice, I'm sure. Nothing better than this. They will not give you the peace, hope, purpose that you're looking for outside of Christ. You need to look right here. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Guys, we don't think with our heart, do we? We think with our mind. Do you see the connection, though? We have to think with our heart. How does that happen? Because what we continually put in our mind and renew it with gets downloaded to our heart, and that's how we're transformed. Because then we start to believe it and think it with our heart. It's cool. You can believe with your mind. Just I know what the Bible says, but if you never believe it with your heart... Lord, help us. We're going to lose the battle. Romans 8, 5 through 7. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Where's the battle? In the mind. He said it five times in that passage if you didn't get it. Five times, mind, mind, mind. Where's your mind? Is it on the flesh? Is it on the things of this world? The appearance, performance, status? If it is, you're going to get jacked up. You're going to get your helmet knocked off. You're going to get hit so hard. You better wake up and get our minds set on the spirit of God and his word. And let him change us from the inside out. That's what he loves to do. It's not a do more, do more, do more. It's a surrender more to Jesus. Like, Lord, I'm done living for myself and for the things of this world. Would you please help me? It's a surrendered heart. It's not a, uh, it's not a works-based even sanctification that God wants out of us. It's letting the Spirit of God change us. And we need the Word of God to reset it. We need to see it. We need to hear it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We need to believe it. That's transferred to our heart so that we can start thinking it with our heart and then we can start living it out. Then you can say, I'm a transformer. Right? Y'all know that movie? I'm a transformer. God's made me a transformer. I'm going to end with Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. And somebody here will be like, oh, no, you ain't going to read them verses, are you? <laughs> oh, man. Can I just start before I say this? I'm not going to get into a big um, exegesis of this because we'll be here till dinner, okay? Second, I just want to say this. These verses were not placed in Scripture for people to argue over. These verses were not placed in Scripture to divide churches and God's people. Only the enemy does that. You want to know what these verses are written for, the ones we're about to read? It's to show you how much you're loved and what God thinks about you. That's what it's there for, not to argue over. God didn't call us to win arguments anyway. He called us to win souls, to be fishers of men. So, what I'm about to read, I want you to hear who you are in him and the value you have and that you are significant. All right? This is Ephesians chapter 1, and I didn't mark it like a bonehead. All right? Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read for you verses 1, sorry, verses 3 through 14. Ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him, circle the word chose, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, circle the word predestined, us to adoption, circle the word adoption, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accept, accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence 
having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him in him also we have obtained an inheritance look at that remember Mephibosheth being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise I'm going to read verse 14 as well, might as well. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Guys, we get three very clear personal identity, self-image messages in this. We've already talked about Ephesians was written. These first three chapters tell us what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ. It's our identity. We had that message with our identity message, and it goes back into our self-image right here because we see three things. One, we were chosen. It's that gives that word of elect, just like he, he chose Israel, okay? But let's get this straight. He didn't choose Israel and not give anybody else a chance, did he? He chose Israel not because he didn't like everybody else. He chose Israel, why? For his purpose, for his glory, and so that other, everybody else could hear about him. I want you to see that. He predestined. Why? It means he foreknew. That goes back to this adoption. That he wanted you. There was a plan. There's a purpose. You're significant. We're chosen. He's got a mission for us. There's a plan. There's a purpose. He adopts us, brings us in. You're wanted is the message. Our identity is in him. The greatest gift of love that he could ever give. He said in this third one, so he's chosen, predestined, and he's blessed us in Christ. The greatest gift of love he could ever give was his son. It's John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friends. It's what Jesus did for all of us. It's John 3, 16, and you know it. For God so loved the world, the world. For God so only loved the elect. No, he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But he chooses us. He foreknew it. He had a plan. He adopted us, wants to bring us in, to put us on a mission and bless us in Christ. It's the greatest stamp of purpose, identity, and value that you can have and it never goes away if you're in Christ but here's the question are you in Christ have you surrendered and given your life to him we close realizing that you may have had people and things and circumstances hurt you horribly and give you some bad self Warped images, bad mirrors, all through life. And maybe you're looking in one now before you got here. And God's speaking to you today. Close with a, a story of a, of a guy that was in an orphanage. He was left alone. And in this orphanage, of course, he had to 
compete for a lot of things because there were so many kids. He had to compete for attention, had to compete for toys, had to compete for food. And then one day this family come in and wanted him and chose him and brought him out. And they had planned beforehand that they wanted a child and they come in and they see him and they bring him and they take him home. And he tells the story about how he goes to this beautiful house and it's got all kinds of stuff and and there's this beautiful bed. And and, and though he's in this house and and though he's adopted and and he's in this this new home with a a new father and a new identity and and new parents, he sees this bed and he doesn't feel worthy to sleep in it. Because of where he's come from. He'd been trained to think less of himself. So he slept in the floor instead of in the nice bed. And then he tells the story about how he would go and they had all these toys for him. And and, and it was so many toys he didn't know what to do with. But he would only just pick two or three up and play with them. Because that's what he was used to having to do in the orphanage where he was. And then he talks about all the food that was in the kitchen. He could go in there and there was just unlimited food that he could get at any time. But he always went and he always felt like he had to hurry and rush and stick a few things in his pocket so that he could have later. Not knowing that he had free access to anything he wanted all time because he had done trained his mind that he had to compete and compare. And then it wasn't until one day when he had run himself ragged trying to perform and do and fill all that status, that appearance performance status that we talked about, that God got a hold of his heart and be like, you don't have to live like this anymore. And he gave his life to Christ and he has this beautiful picture of how he had done that his whole life, even physically, because he had trained his mind, this is all I'm worth. Not realizing the new adoption, the sonship he had been given in that home. Guys, that's what Christ has given us. And so many times, because we've been trained by the things of this world and those warped mirror images, we think that's all we're worth, even though we're in the house of God. And God wants us to realize that we have full and unlimited access. And everything we ever need, we have in him. And we can rest. And we don't have to do more. And we don't have to try harder. And we don't have to perform. And we don't have to do anything but let him give what he wants to give us and us to walk in that in a surrendered life to him. So you and I may have a lot of pain. People make fun of you, walked out on you, avoided you, maybe even had church people do it. They've slandered about you, lied about you. Maybe you've experienced failure so many times in your life and disappointment and shattered dreams and you lost all your hopes and there's been broken relationships. But God is saying that none of that gets to define you. God defines you. Do you hear that today? None of that gets to define you in Christ. Will you let Jesus define you today? Look in his mirror. Laugh at the other ones, because you'll walk in front of them still. You'll walk in front of them every day. But laugh and say, that's not really me. I don't look like that. And then look back at the real image of you in Christ. So you're not who your conscience says you are. You're not even who your mom or dad says you are. You're not who your employer says you are. You're not who your coach says you are. You're definitely not who Facebook and Instagram says you are or aren't. You're not what the media says you are or aren't. You're not what your kids say you are. You're not what your friends say you are. You are who God says you are. Will you anchor yourself in that today? 
Because if you get that and you let that get transformed from your mind to your heart, it will radically change every single relationship you have on this planet and it will change your life. And you've just allowed God to overcome the mirror madness that we all face. Let me bow our head, close our eyes. And I just first wonder if there's anybody in here, you might just say, Brad, I have not surrendered my life to Jesus. And he's calling. He's poked on my heart right now today. And I right now want to be adopted into his sonship. I want to be brought into the kingdom. And I want my life to be restored and renewed in him. So that I can stop trying to find my purpose and hope in the things of this world that are never going to satisfy but only in him. If that's you today, will you give your life to Christ right now wholeheartedly, sincerely? And I'm going to lead you through a prayer from your heart to God's heart that I want you to do business with God, realizing that it's not just about throwing up some words haphazardly, that it's about a heartfelt change and confession with your tongue. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10, with your heart that you believe in are justified. And yes, then, when you say this, when you do business with God, it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. But it starts in your heart right now. Are you ready to surrender all? Make him Lord of your life. To repent, that means I, I, I got a new way of thinking. I'm going to turn and do an about face and let the Lord do the work in my life of cleaning it up. Because you don't have to get your life right first to come to him. All you got to do is come. And then he's going to do the work of changing you from the inside out. Will you just give your life to him today? Or if you might say, Brad, I've given my life to Christ earlier, man. And I remember there's a time I was on fire for the Lord, but lately I've drifted, I've deviated, I've walked away. And I want to come running back to the cross today like the prodigal son. I want to rededicate my life and get on fire for Jesus and, and, and realign and, and correct my self-image in him and just really play the position God's called me to play and do what he's called me to do. And I want to rededicate my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray the same prayer right now and do business from your heart to God's heart. So to receive him right now for the first time, to surrender your life, to surrender your all, or to rededicate, just speak these words to God. to say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've fallen short of your glory. And I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lord, I've been trying to do life on my own for too long, and I'm tired. And there's a bunch of broken pieces that I can't put back together. I don't even think much of myself anymore. But Lord, I've heard your word today, and I want to come running to you right now. I realize, Father, that you are the only way. You are the truth. You are the only life. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on that cross, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and he's the spotless lamb that was slain. And through his sacrifice, through his wounds, I'm forgiven. And even more than forgiven, Lord, you want to put me back together, all these pieces that I can't even find anymore, that, that I'm so broken. And Lord, I pray that, Father, Lord, that you would heal me. Heal my mind. Get rid of these warped self-images that I've had from this world and let me see the image of who I really am in you. And Lord, thank you for raising from the grave three days later, proving that you are God. And Lord, right now you stand in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now I need that victory in my life. Father, and I claim it. 
And my commitment to you is from this day forward, every step I take, every breath I make will be for your glory. Because now I'm yours. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. If that's you, you just now did business with Jesus. For the first time, or you rededicated your life to him, would you boldly and unashamed raise your hand? Just say, Brad, I did business with the Lord right now today. If I don't see you, God does. We're going to close our service like we do every week here at Impact, and I'm going to ask you whatever the Lord's doing in your heart, you put action with it with your feet. And just come forward. There'll be pastors up here. We can pray with you, talk with you if you want. If you don't need us, you can move right past us. Kneel at this altar and do business with Jesus today with whatever he's moving in your heart. Maybe you made a decision for Christ right here. Maybe you need prayer over a loved one, or um, maybe you got need prayer over a situation going on in your life, in, a, in your own relationships, or in finances, or in your health report, whatever it is. Maybe you just need to come and pray about joining the church, getting plugged in, whatever it is. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart, with all our voice. And let's come right now as the Lord leads. This is the air I breathe. This is the
Amen. Impact, can we give the Lord a big round of applause that he deserves for his word? And I hope that pierced you as deep as it did this week, this, uh, week as I prepared and studied that. Lord is faithful, so let's take this word. Let's overcome the mirror madness that we face every single day. Let's win the mental battle right here and get our eyes focused in the image that we all are identified in in Christ. And that's going to make all the difference. So let's go make an impact, bring somebody to church next week. And again, Zach's uh, uh, up to speak on winning that mental health battle for all of us. You don't want to miss it. See you next Sunday.